the presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Hello, everybody. This is, this is Pastor Adam again, and, and I, I wanted to share something that I've been digging into that I think uh, will assist us in better understanding God. And uh, it's, you know, no surprise, it's something from the very beginning of God's Word. It's from the book of Genesis. And I so enjoy um, the Old Testament. I just do. I, I don't think it gets enough emphasis or, uh, you know, time of ministers talking about it. Um, and there is just so much there. And it's the foundation of understanding what we tend to, tend, you know, we tend to really focus on the New Testament. And when we're introduced to God in human form and Jesus and, and uh, my gosh, I'm not against the New Testament at all. Please don't take that. But I just so enjoy um finding out, having things revealed to me about the Old Testament. And so I want to get right into this today. And uh, and first I'm going to read some scripture and then, then we'll kind of explain it and talk about it. So I'm going to get going right away here in Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So you can get your Bibles out to Genesis 2, starting with verse 18. And uh, here we go. And Yahweh, God said... It is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a help counterpart for him. Now, I want to pause right there. The word good is the Hebrew word tov. You're going to hear that a lot today. I'm going to be talking about that in this, this brief little snippet we're going to talk about. But the, 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 the Hebrew word for good is tov. And the Hebrew word for evil is ra. Okay? And the word help uh, we hear we have that in this verse right here, and uh, the Hebrew word for help is azer, and you know uh, the English word help is the closest we can get to azer, I guess. But it's such an inaccurate word to properly represent the Hebrew word azer, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into that. So that's just like a big key right there of what we're gonna talk about. Now continuing on in verse nineteen. And Yahweh formed from the ground every living creature of the field and every bird of the skies, and he brought them to the human to see what he would call it. And everything which the human would call it a living being, that was its name. And the human called the names of every beast and bird of the skies and every living creature of the field. But for the human, there was not found a help counterpart. All right, let's pause there a little bit. What we just find is there's a problem that has to be resolved. There is no azer for the human. Now, our English translations say help. There's no helper. Help me, help mate, all the different versions you can find. You know, it pretty much says help, helper. But what we have here, the issue is there's a human alone and there's no azer for that human. So, First, there was a naming of the animals, but during that naming, we still don't have an azer. So let's, let's read on and see if this problem is resolved. And I, I think we know the answer. It is. But how this is brought forward is really something. 
So continuing on in Genesis 2, verse 21 now. And Yahweh caused to fall a deep sleep on the human, and he slept. And he took one from his sides, and he closed the flesh of its place. And Yahweh built the side which he took from the human into a woman, and he brought her to the human. And the human said, this time bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. This one will be called woman, for from man this one was taken. Well, in the Hebrew, some very key words there at the end of chapter of verse 23 is when, 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 the, when Adam, the, the human, when he's talking after woman comes out, he says, this one will be called, and in the Hebrew, it's Isha. That's the Hebrew word for woman here. He says, this one will be called Isha, for from Ish, see, Ish is the word for man in the Hebrew. So Isha is coming from Ish. And at least in English now, in our translation, the wordplay is preserved because we know this is out of man comes woman. In the Hebrew, it's out of Ish comes Isha. So when reading this, uh, it's, it's imperative that we understand that this isn't just something you know, interesting that happened in the past, but rather it's because of, of this or for this very reason, a man will leave or abandon his father and his mother and he will cling to his Isha, his woman. And Ish, right, an Ish, a man will cling to his woman, an Isha, and Ish will cling to an Isha and they will become one flesh. And the two of them were naked the human and his Isha, and there was no shame. I just, that was me reading Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25. All right. So I'm going to dig into this now a little bit. And and uh, the first thing I want to focus on from this narrative here is that the human was alone up to this point. Now, depending on which English translation you read, the Hebrew word Adam is sometimes rendered in our English versions, human or man or Adam. In the Hebrew, it's pronounced Adam. That's for Adam, Adam. The majority of the time that Adam occurs in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it has the Hebrew word the, the English word we say the in front of it. Because see, when you have the, when you have the Adam, it means the human. Now, when the human has this problem in Genesis 3, uh, from that point forward, in Genesis 4 and onward, we will more constantly only have Adam without the word the in front of it in Hebrew. From that point on in Hebrew, it's not the Adam anymore. It's just Adam. Anytime you see Adam or Adam. Now, I think it's fair to say that this is like, we could look at this as a type of archetype of Genesis 2 and 3 becomes an actual, this person, this thing that we have in here, the Adam, becomes an actual individual character as he steps out of Eden. And, And another thing to think about is how Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 relate to each other. See, the... The ideal was one Adam, as we're introduced in Genesis 1, verse 27. 
right? That scripture says, and God made human in his image. In the image of God, he made him. Okay, well, of what does the one humanity exist or consist of? In in Genesis 1, at least, it's two, male and female. That's what we're told in Genesis 1. He made them, God made them male and female. So the one is two, right? But that two is really one. That's what Genesis 1 says. These two human, the human is a male and a female, but it's one, although it's two characteristics of a human. Genesis 2 then continues working on that same theme, but in now it's going to be in terms of a narrative and it explains it more. We have, we have one human and to have only one human is not tov. Remember, tov means good because that's where we have that little issue that I started with today in Genesis 2. It's, it's the first thing now that we're, as we're starting in Genesis 1 and then we get into Genesis 2, it's the first thing in the biblical world that is not tov, that is not good. But I also need to say, we need to understand, that doesn't mean it's ra, mean, it doesn't mean it's evil. See, ra, I think the way to understand ra or the way to understand evil is not just the absence of tov or you know, the absence of good, but, but Ra, the evil, is the introduction of something additional that works against good or works against Tov. Or, or another way, I think, to say this situation with the one human that we began this today in Genesis 2 is that this isn't a reality that is working against, uh, you know, the creation or this isn't disorder. It would, I think it would be more accurate to say or to describe this situation, that current situation that they found themselves in after he named the animals and and the human was alone, is that this is non-order, right? Something is not in order. Something they that, that was revealed there is not tov. So what we have there is a glaring moment in this narrative for the reader, for us, for those of us reading this, to go, Hmm, huh, what is it that's not tov? What is it that's not fully good? What do I know about the ideal that I read already in Genesis 1 that is impossible if there is only one human? Okay, so okay, so what do we know already that we once we read Genesis 1 that is God's ordeal? That when we are confronted with this moment of a lone human in Genesis 2, there's an issue that has to be addressed in some way if we're going to accomplish the ideal that we were introduced to in Genesis 1 when God finished that whole chapter of Genesis and saying everything's good. What, what's going on here now in Genesis 2? Remember, the instructions given from God to the human in Genesis 1 is that the assignment is to fill the cosmos with humans. Be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them and said, make, make fruit and multiply. Fruit is good. Fruit, in other words, is tov. So if you only have one, 
You can't be very tov. You can't be very good. You're limited in the ability to be tov, the ability to be good, if it's localized in one. But to have a cosmos that's bursting with tov means multiplication. It means life. It means there has to be many. So this commission to be fruitful and multiply cannot be accomplished if you have a lone human. And, and I also think the proper image of God, according to what Genesis 1.27, it reveals that it's both singular as well as a couple, male and female. In, in other words, we have a plurality as well as a duality. And the two of them are not the same. They're different from each other. Okay, so when we have two different others, right, two differences, right, two of the different humans, we recognize and participate and work together as one, well, by golly, then we have a reflection of the image of God. This, this issue is that we started with in 2 verse 18 there is we have a lone human who can't properly image God, at least in the full capacity. Now, the context in Genesis 2 is about gender, and then it's about marriage. But that's not the only kind of diversity and unity going on here. The description of bone and flesh is primarily used of family, according to what the first human said. He's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, my flesh of my flesh. This woman, this, this, you know, the ish is saying the ishtag is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, but it's primarily family. So for instance, let's, let's think about what goes on later down, down the road in the book of Genesis. When Jacob, for instance, wrongs his brother Esau, and he's kind of, you know, he's exiled, Jacob's exiled from his family. He goes to the land of Haran and he meets a woman at a well and waters her flocks. And lo and behold, she's part of a tribe and that tribe happens to be relatives of Jacob. In fact, it's Jacob's mother's brother, Laban. And Rachel is one of Laban's daughters. And Laban's, Laban says to Jacob, ah, my brother, my bone and my flesh, come stay with me. This phrase, bone and flesh, is language of a biological connection. So what's happening is, is even though marriage is what's in focus, that with this always happen, we tend to just focus on that, but we miss this bigger theme. The rest of the book of Genesis is really interested in this one and the many larger theme. And I think we miss this all the time. In other words, when you have the lone one, that lone one by themselves do what God has called, you know, cannot do what God has called humans to do. There, there of necessity must be many. And in that many, it brings differences. When, when you get those many who realize that they are also one, not in spite of the differences they have, but because of their differences, their oneness images God in a way much more richly than one could ever do when we're together. I, I mean, I hope, you're, I hope I'm making sense here. I hope this isn't confusing. But uh, this is something I don't think we get very well. 
And I don't think it's talked about at all. I've never heard this. So, I mean, therefore, you know, Genesis 2 with man and woman is only, I would say, it's the first example of a pattern of unity of a diverse humanity. And, and, and very quickly then, as the story continues, we have two brothers who are divided, right? Cain and Abel. We, we then just continue on. We get, you know, things like the Babylon story is going to be all about trying to get groups of people together as one, but that is a false narrative to exalt an empire instead of the creator. The, the story, you know, going on further, the story of Abraham and Lot, who, who those, those two guys, they acquire a lot of stuff, a lot of possessions, which basically forces them to divide. And, and one goes to, you know, they divide, one goes one way, one goes another. One goes to live in what would be described as a false Eden. That was Lot, he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, and then moving on, we have Joseph, right? And his brothers dividing, but then coming together. It's like, it's like the entire book of Genesis reveals or unfolds this idea of having the many become one. And that is the overarching theme of what humanity is supposed to be doing. Regardless of our differences, this, this narrative about the man and the woman becomes the, the first of a much larger pattern. And it's in that light. It, it's not good for the human to be alone. It's like a seed, if you will, of the major theme of a major theme in Scripture. Just, just think about where this is going in light of how the many keep failing. And so God chooses a one. Again, right? He'll choose a one in Noah. He chooses a one in Abraham. We, we get to the book of Judges. You know, there were uh, Deborah, Gideon, Samson. You know, after that, then we get a one in David. After that, it's the priesthood, right? The Levites, but but they fail. Then, then just, just think about all of the imagery around Jesus as the faithful one, and then he the Messiah, Jesus Christ, becomes the head of a new body. You know, and then as we're, we're in the New Testament, I mean, why did Paul in the letter to the Ephesians show such an interest in the one and the many, right? He, he shares about how the nations become one, how a husband and wife are one, how a slave and master are one. Uh, everybody, everybody is one in the Messiah. And then, you know, which verse does Paul quote at the climax of that entire discourse in the book of Ephesians, primarily in Ephesians chapter 5? He says in 531, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, where did he get that from? He got it from Genesis 2, where we just were, folks, as we started this. That Genesis 2, 24 said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, I, I, can we at least, I hope we can see that this is way, way bigger than just marriage and gender. Although marriage and gender is an important example of it. Right, This scene in Genesis 2 is so huge in its depth of importance 
for the entirety of the biblical message and not just about singleness or marriage. I I think, again, I've already mentioned, I think it's really fair to say that the Christian tradition has tended to underread this or underemphasize this or frankly, maybe just not understand it. And I hope this is bringing some understanding. I hope I'm not messing anybody up. I hope this is revealing some things and opening up a plethora, just a bunch of tie-ins to the entire thread of, of, of this through scripture. I believe this is a major, major scene in the Hebrew Bible about the division of humanity and whether humanity can ever be united, reunited into one again. You know, I, I think of when Jesus is quoted multiple times saying like, verily, verily, or when Jesus would speak, they'd put the word back, back to back like that, verily, verily. And that basically would mean it's a, it's a big sticking point. It was like he's shouting to get their attention or just really, really emphasizing. Well, I think this is that way. This is a major, major scene. I mean, this is what, I, this is what the Tower of Babylon was all about. The scattering of the people who wanted to be one because they were doing it wrong, right? So I wanna bring this home. I wanna bring it to a close by looking at a psalm. Of course, there's a psalm that kind of brings this all together, and it's Psalm 133. Let me read it for you. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So I, I want to kind of just go through these. There was just three verses is Psalm 133. It's only three verses. And I want to explain it. And I'm going to read it again. But this time I'm going to throw in some of like my reflections of what's going on, which I think will help us understand it and not gloss over what's going on. So uh, here we go. Look how tov, like good, right? Look how tov it is. It's so pleasant. What a delight when the brothers, now the Hebrew word is achim for, for brothers, which in Hebrew can stand for an entire tribe. Not just how we think of, you know, maybe the nuclear family. Or it could also, I think, be more accurate to actually use the word siblings. So, so here we go. So, oh, how tov and pleasant it is when siblings can dwell together as one. You know what that's like? It's like precious oil or when the king or the priest is anointed with oil. When the priest was anointed, the oil goes down the beard and down the edges of the robe. And oh boy, don't forget what's on the front of what the, the priest would wear in his robe, the breastplate. And on that breastplate, there was all the tribes represented by these precious stones together as one family. So just imagine that oil running down that robe. And, and you know what else it's like? It's like the dew of Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in the northern part of Israel. And by the way, it's higher than Mount Zion. I can tell you, me and Candace were there and we went on Mount Hermon. It's the tallest part in that part of the northern part. So imagine the dew, which in itself, dew, 
Just do, just that thing of the do on the grass is a very strange mystery because it's not rain. But when you get up in the morning, it's just there and everything is wet <laughs> outside, right? There's water all over the ground and the water is life and it just appears like a divine gift. So imagine how good it is when siblings are one. It's like the life of a heaven miraculously appearing on Mount Zion and Mount Zion is the place where God has commanded the blessing. And you know what the blessing is? Eternal life. Imagine humanity living together as one on Mount Zion where there's eternal life. Now, whew, let's keep that. Let's keep that hope alive. Let's keep that in our vision. Let's, let's keep that in our prayers as we're going forth day to day with all this ridiculousness that tends to take our focus. Uh-uh, do not let that disturb you and distract you from focusing on what the word of God already says about your eternal life. It's fascinating to me to look into this theme as it has an immense potential and importance as you go throughout the biblical story. And it begins here in this very interesting narrative of Genesis 2 about that lone human that was not Tove in God's good world and God fixed it by bringing the woman because he's not alone now. Hallelujah. I hope you got something from this. Let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this. Continue, Father God. We're asking you to continue to reveal to us more and more depth, more and more understanding. Reveal things to us, Father expand our wisdom, expand our understanding. Forgive us, Father, where we have been so wrong or limited. We, we ask for your forgiveness. We repent of wrong uh, speaking, wrong understanding of, of your word. And we thank you for, for new revelations every day. So Father, we are grateful for this. We ask for your blessings over this. And we come to you humbly. In the mighty and matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, everyone, have a blessed day. I hope you soak that up and study it. God bless. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candice Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.